So this morning, I'm going to wrap up our, uh, our, our series on the life of Joseph. We've been discussing the life of Joseph for about the last six or seven weeks. And it's so interesting how when greatness appears, we get really interested in the details of great people's lives. I think about Tom Brady, who's kind of known for his TB12 method and his pliability and his weird diet of eating like avocado ice cream. And he's just an intense guy. But we, we bear down on the details of his life. But if you think about it, if, if Tom Brady was like the IT guy at your job and he was always trying to sell you on his method and he's always trying to get you to commit to this crazy diet he was into, You'd be like, get away from me, man. Like, fix my computer. Like, I don't care about your pliability. I don't care about your diet. I don't care. But because he is great, we get very interested in the details of his life. Because he has accomplished great things, we get very interested in the details of his life. We want to know why he does what he does and how he does what he does because we know that in those details are clues to what actually makes him great. We know that in those details of what he does on a day-to-day basis, those small decisions he makes that other people do not make are, are among the things that make him great. And that's why it's so interesting when you look at the Bible, there are so many great Bible characters. There are so many great Bible stories for whom we don't actually really know many details of their lives. Uh, We see these snapshots, we see these moments, we see these big wins, we see these big victories, but we don't actually see the day-to-day moments of their everyday life. And so we we see people like Noah, and we know that he built an ark. We we see people in Scripture, we kind of know their stories. We know Jonah and the whale. We know some of these stories, but we only know these moments. We don't really know the totality of their life. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, it's like we see her at Jesus's birth and then we see her a few other times, but we don't really know the details of her life. Jesus's father, Joseph, is even more elusive. There are no words in scripture from Joseph and we hear very little about him around the time of birth and then we hear nothing about him. We hear so little about him that most scholars assume that he died when Jesus was young. And so you would think that If anybody in scripture merits knowing every detail of their life, then it would be Jesus because he's the one we're supposed to follow. He's the one we're supposed to know about. He's the one we're supposed to emulate. And yet even in the life of Jesus, there is so much that we don't know. There is so many gaps that we do not know exactly how to fill. We know of his birth. We have like one story of his childhood. And the next thing we know, he's in his 30s. I mean, it would be weird if you were trying to get to know me and you wanted to know my story and you asked me, hey, tell me your story. Tell me how you got here. Why are you in Sarasota? Why are you planning a church? Tell me how you got here. And I said, well, you know, I was born in a small town called Palatka, Florida. And then one time I went to church with my parents at around the age of 12. And then last year I moved to Sarasota. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, where are all the details of your life? Like, if you heard only those things, you would assume that I've just been in Florida my whole life when in fact I spent a good majority of my life growing up in Alabama. There's a lot of things that you don't know. You wouldn't know the siblings I have. You wouldn't know the things that I was interested in, the place that I went to college. There's a huge gap where you would have no idea what exactly I did. And even in the lifespan of Jesus that we read about in scripture, the writer of scripture tells us that Jesus did so many amazing miracles. Jesus did so many extraordinary things that the books of the world could not fill all the things that Jesus did. 
So we know that even in the period of time where we were hearing about what Jesus was doing, we still don't know the totality of what he was doing. We still don't really have bookends from beginning to end. And that's why it's so interesting that for Joseph, we really have a lot of detail about his life. We really know a lot about the narrative of Joseph's life. We really see a lot of the full arc of his life. And I think it's because there's something significant that connects with us through the life of Joseph. Because Joseph's life reminds us, for one thing, that we can actually go through hard things that can work out for the good. That we can walk through a hard life that works out for the good. And I think it's important when we look at the life of Joseph that we realize that that when we talk about hard things working out for good, the Bible says that God works all things together for the good of those who love and follow him. For, For the Bible to say that, what it doesn't say is that God makes all things good. It says he works all things together for good. Like we can still acknowledge that Joseph's time in the pit, that Joseph's time in the prison were not good, but that they worked together for good that God somehow engineered moments that we would never choose to work together for the good of others. And I think that's a huge takeaway from Joseph's life. But even beyond that, I think there's something about his life that reminds us of our desire for significance. That ultimately, we all yearn to have significance. When you look at the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, so much of it is devoted to the life of Joseph. And in fact, up front, we get a few chapters about the creation of the universe. Like the creation of the universe gets a couple of chapters. And then we get a few chapters about some of kind of the founding fathers of the faith. And then more than a quarter of the rest of the book of Genesis is about the life of Joseph. More than a quarter of the book of beginnings is about the life of Joseph. The first half is about humanity and about the history of the world. And the second half is just the story of Joseph. There's something significant about, significant about his life. And I think there's so many of us, almost as even Bethany was saying, that we're terrified of living insignificant lives. That, that we're terrified of spending our lives on something that does not matter. We're terrified of spending our days on things that do not matter. And she even mentioned this idea of, God, why can't I find the call that you have for me? See, I want to encourage you today that the call of God on your life begins simply by following Jesus, that all are called to follow Jesus. There was this moment years ago when I was uh, early in college, and a friend of mine actually came on vacation with my family for Thanksgiving, and we were in this small town in North Carolina where my grandparents live, and we had gone to see the movie Elf, and we, we, were, we had seen the movie in the theater, and we came out of the theater, and this town is pretty rural, like even at this time, it should not have had payphones, but it had payphones, and so we were standing in the lobby, and the phone, one of the payphones just started ringing, which feels like the beginning of like a horror movie. And it rang, and it rang, and it rang, and then it stopped. And we were waiting on someone to come pick us up. And it rang, and it rang, and it rang, and it stopped. And we were just still waiting. And, and there was a crowd of people outside. And every time it would ring, everybody would be like, oh, that's weird. And then finally, it started ringing again. And my friend walked over, and he picked it up. And keep in mind, we had just seen Elf. And he said, of course, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? <laughs> and he had this whole conversation with whoever was on the other line. They, The truth about our call is that it's a lot like that payphone in that it is ringing and just waiting for somebody to pick it up. The call of God on your life begins by simply following Jesus. 
And if you want to live a life of significance, you cannot go wrong by committing your life to following Jesus because you cannot follow Jesus into insignificance. You cannot follow Jesus into insignificance. Everything that God does is significance. And so you cannot find, you cannot follow him into insignificance. See, your significance is less about what you do and more about who you follow. It's less about what you do and it's more about who you follow. And that's good news. It's good news for those of us who are longing for a significant life because following Jesus will only lead you into greatness. But it may not be the type of greatness that we have defined in our own minds. It may not look like we would expect. See, the life of Joseph does not look how he would have expected at the beginning of Genesis when we hear about his dream. It did not unfold in the way that he expected it to unfold. And yet, even in the circumstances that he never would have chose, even in circumstances that he never would have imagined, God somehow still led his story into a story of promotion and significance. See, see, I, I think that sometimes people get a little uncomfortable when we talk about wanting to be great when we talk about the desire to be great. And I understand that ultimately God is great. He is the greatest. He is far more greater than we could ever be. But I also think that we need to acknowledge that God created us in his image and that God does not create things that are not good. God does not create things that are not great. See, there is actually greatness that is inherent inside of you because of who you were created by. There is greatness inside of you because of who created you. See, the greatness that God has put inside of you, like the greatness that God put inside of Joseph, should be used to the benefit of others. See, the, the greatness that is placed within us only really gets out of whack when we want to be great for the sake of being great. When, when we want to be great so that we are lifted up. See, Joseph figured out that the greatness that was inside of him was not actually for him that the greatness that was inside of him was for the benefit of others. And so there's this moment towards the end of Genesis. The book actually closes with Joseph's death. But before Joseph dies, Joseph's father, Jacob, dies. And if you remember from last week, there's this incredible reunion where Joseph is reunited with his family. He's reunited with his brothers. There's reconciliation. He's, he's reunited with his father. And, and they actually get to live their last years together. And there's this moment where Jacob knows that he's dying. And so Jacob begins to bring his sons around him and he begins to basically bless his sons. And he speaks into the life of his sons. He speaks what he has seen on their lives and he speaks what he knows will be true of their lives in the future. Because Jacob knows that, that his sons, his offspring are meant to be this great nation of Israel that God has promised him in a dream that, that his family would spread out into all the earth and become a great nation. And so he reminds his sons of their future. He reminds his sons of the greatness that God has in store for them. And he goes through each of them and he says all of these different things speaking to their personality. And in Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 22, he speaks of the life of Joseph. And he said, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked, attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you. 
There's this moment where he's, he's gathered the brothers and he's speaking to their future. He's speaking to what he's seen in their lives. And he says, Joseph's life, that the branches of Joseph's life spread out beyond the walls, that his life was not contained by the walls that surrounded him. See, see, Joseph spent his life contained in so many different ways. We see early in his life, his brothers throw him into a pit, and yet it does not contain him. We see that he is imprisoned in the home of someone in the palace named Potiphar, and yet that does not contain him. And then he's thrown into prison, and yet the prison cannot contain him. And then finally, even in promotion, he's placed in the palace of Egypt, the the most significant and influential nation in the land at that time, and he's second in command. Like There's not much higher that you could go in the most important kingdom at that time, and yet even it couldn't contain him. Because Joseph was responsible for gathering the grain that would not just save Egypt, but would save the world. Joseph's life is constantly reaching beyond the walls that try to contain him. Joseph's life is constantly reaching over the walls and not just reaching the people just in his personal sphere of influence, but far beyond what he could have ever imagined. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that moves beyond the walls that are placed around me. I want to live a life that moves out beyond just my own sphere of influence. I want to I live a life that branches out and makes a difference in the world. That is what we were all created to do. We were all created to impact beyond the walls that society tries to place around us. We were all made to, to, to live lives that move us out beyond the walls. And I believe that there are a few things here that Jacob says to his son, Joseph, about how his life was able to spread out the way it was about how his life was able to not be contained, but to reach out beyond the walls that tried to contain him. I love that it says Joseph is a fruitful vine. Joseph is a fruitful vine. That you can look at the life of Joseph and actually see its effect on others. That he actually bears fruit. I want to live a life that bears fruit like Joseph's life. I want to live a life that bears fruit. I want to live a life that is not just about me, but that spreads out and bears fruit. And it says Joseph was fruitful even when he was attacked with bitterness. I don't think it's any coincidence that Joseph's father said that archers tried to attack him with bitterness. Because bitterness is the exact thing that would seep into your life if you were as hated and despised and put down as Joseph was. That if at some point in your life, God gave you a dream and it just felt like everywhere along the way, you were being put down, you were being put aside, you were being left alone, you were being literally forgotten in prison. That if that's the life that you had, it would be bitterness that would seep in so easily. And yet his father said that Joseph was attacked by bitterness and he bore fruit. And so how do you bear fruit when you could get bitter? How do you bear fruit when you could get bitter. I want you to notice the things that that Joseph's father says about him. It says, Joseph is a fruitful vine planted near a spring. Planted near a spring. See, it matters the soil that you're planted in. It matters the place that you are planted in. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse seven and eight says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. See, Joseph was literally this person who had no fear in drought. 
that when the land of Egypt, when there was nothing to eat, when there were years of famine, there was one man who stood alone and said, I don't fear this. I actually have a plan for this. I don't fear this. I can actually bring people through this. See, the reason was that Joseph was planted near a stream, that Joseph was planted in a place where he actually received from, it says, the God of his fathers. So we have to be planted in the soil that God would have for us. We have to be planted in the soil that God would have for us. I would ask you today, what kind of soil is your life planted in? What kind of soil is your life planted in? Because see, Joseph, his his situation never determined the soil that he was planted in. Even in prison, he was planted in the God of his father. Even in the pit, he was planted in the God of his father. Even in the palace, he was planted in the God of his father. The soil that he was in was good soil. And we have to make sure that our lives are planted in good soil. We have to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to be planted in our circumstances. We have to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to be planted in what's happening around us right now. I love this imagery of his brothers throwing him into a pit. See, they thought that they were getting rid of him. They thought they were burying him, but they were planting him. They were planting him. Ultimately, Joseph came out of that pit and grew into such prominence, into such greatness, that he led an entire nation into the promise that they were meant to have. He led them into the life that they were meant to have. Where we are planted matters. It says that he was a fruitful vine planted near a stream. It says, with bitterness, archers attached him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His bow remained steady. See, I think there's something about where we are planted, and I think there is something about our ability to remain steady. When everything in the world is shaking, when everything in the world seems uncertain, there is something about people who are able to remain steady. There is something about people who, it says his arm was able to remain steady. He was able to stay locked onto his target and press forward. There is something about people who know how to remain. John 15 verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now remain in my love. I was talking to some of our team about this a a few weeks ago. Remaining in God's love, it's easier said than done. Remaining in anything is easier said than done. There's actually a common theme when someone tells you to remain in something. Whether it's remain calm, remain seated, remain standing, remain quiet. The reason that people ask you to remain in something is because your reflex in that moment is not to do that. Your reflex in that moment, when people say remain seated, it's because they know you want to stand. When they say remain standing, it's because they know you want to sit. When they say remain quiet, it's because they know you want to talk. See, whenever someone asks you to remain in something, it's never the easiest choice in the moment. It's never the default choice in the moment. It's usually a moment where our instinct would be to do the opposite. But here's what I know. Our capacity to serve is directly related to our ability to remain. Our capacity to serve is directly related to our ability to remain. See, Joseph was able to serve people that he should have been bitter about. Joseph was able to serve a nation that had him imprisoned. Why? Because he was remaining in the love of God. He was remaining in the love of the God of his father. See, learning to remain will curb our desire to escape. It will curb our desire to escape. See, Joseph could have in those moments, he could have used all of his resources and all of his energy to think, how can I escape these circumstances? 
How can I get out of these circumstances? See, for so many of us, the worst qualities in our lives, the worst addictions and habits that we pick up are a means to escape. I've got to get out of this situation. At least when I do this, I feel an escape. At least when I embrace this, I feel an escape. But see, when you remain in the love of God, it curbs your desire to escape. Joseph was actually able to stay in positions that no one would want to stay in because he knew that he remained in something higher than that, that he actually remained in the love of God. This is the reason that Jesus says, remain in my love, because his desire is that everything we do would be rooted in intimacy with him, that everything we do is ultimately rooted in intimacy with him. See, often the love of Jesus is something we experience periodically, but we don't remain in consistently. We were created to remain in the love of God. It says that he was planted near a stream, that his bow remained steady, his, his strong arms stayed limber. I love that it says his strong arms stayed limber because this might be a little bit too practical for some of you guys, but let me tell you something. When you are in impossible situations, just staying flexible is gonna help you. Just, just staying flexible is going to help you. Just being limber is going to help you. Some of us, we get so rigid in how we want things to go, how we expected things to go, how we believe things should go, what we believe we deserve. We stay so rigid in those things that the moment we are bent, we break. The moment there's any pressure applied, we break. See, I, I think that it's so important that Joseph's father said, Joseph was able to reach beyond these walls because he stayed limber. Joseph was able to reach beyond these walls because he stayed flexible. Joseph was able to reach beyond these walls because when a little bit of pressure was applied to him, he didn't break. He didn't break. He was able to bend. He was able to go with the moment. So I noticed those things. And then, and then we kind of move into a few chapters about some questions his brothers had now that his father had died. Will Joseph now come after us? Will he now come for our lives? And of course he doesn't. But then we come to the moment where the book of Genesis ends. And it ends when Joseph's life ends. Can you imagine living a life that is so significant that a book of the Bible closes when your life ends? That when your life ends, it says, this is all we have to say about this. Let's move on. That's what happens in the life of Joseph. And I've always thought that like last requests and last meals were a little weird. Like who cares? Who cares? Like, like, like what do you want to be your last meal? That sounds awful. Can you really even enjoy it in the moment knowing it's going to be your last meal? Who cares how good it is? Who cares where it's from? You're like, why, why do I care? I'm not going to be here in like five minutes. Why would, I, why would I care what my last meal is? And yet there is significance in last words and there is significance in last requests. And Joseph uses his final words to make a request of his brothers. Now remember, these are the brothers who were jealous of Joseph's dream. These are the brothers who wanted to see him dead. These are the brothers who tried to get him as far away as they could. And in his dying moment, it says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. You must carry my bones up from this place. This is Joseph's final request. I don't want my bones to stay in Egypt. Why would he care where his bones are when he's dead? 
Why would he care where his bones are when he's no longer on this earth? See, this is the final thing that I think makes Joseph's life so significant. The final thing that makes Joseph's life have so much meaning to the world around him, and that is that Joseph always went ahead. Joseph was always willing to go ahead, no matter who it was he was leading. See, in this moment, Joseph asking his brothers to take his bones up from this place into the land that was promised to his father, this wasn't just some weird request. This was an act of faith. This was an act of faith. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, there's this chapter that's referred to as the hall of faith, where it just says, by faith, so-and-so did this, and this happened, and so-and-so did this, and this happened. And it says of Joseph in Hebrews eleven twenty-two, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. See, Joseph was declaring in that moment that God is not just a God who makes promises. God is a God who keeps promises. See, this is significant in this moment because Joseph knows that he's never going to see the promised land with his eyes, but he knows that if he makes them make an oath to take his bones, then they will be motivated to move from that place. That even in his death, he is motivating others to move on from where they are into the promise that God has for his life. He was indicating to his brothers that there is still a bright future for our people that there is still a place for our people. I love this moment because what Joseph is saying is my life is ending, but my story is not. Can you imagine living a life of so much significance that it carries on past your, your expiration, past the time where you die, that your life actually carries on in meaning, that your life actually carries on in significance. See, if you want your life to have significance, make your life about pulling others into the future God has for them. Make your life about pulling others into the future that God has for them. See, Joseph, Joseph's, uh, Joseph's significance was not rooted in his prominence or his promotion. He was always serving to advance the welfare of others. They, they threw him in prison and he served to advance the welfare of others. Every place he went, he served to advance the welfare of others. See, Joseph knew that it wasn't just enough to, to hope for himself when he was alive, but he wanted every last part of his physical being to pull people into the future that God had for them. See, if the dream that you have for your life is only about you, then it dies with you. If the dream that you have for your life is only about you, then it ends with you. If you, the dream that you have for your life is only about you, then when you pass away, it passes away with you. But Joseph's dream was never about himself. See, so often we, we make so much of Joseph having a dream. And we're like, what's our dream? What's my life supposed to be about? What am I supposed to do? What dream has God given me? But the truth is the question we should be asking is, what does my dream mean for others? Because if the dream that I have for my life is a dream that does not pull others into their future, it is not a dream from God. It is not a dream worth giving your life to. See, even in death, Joseph has hope beyond the walls that were supposed to contain him. Even in that moment, he has hope beyond the season he was in. Some of you in this place this morning need hope beyond the season that you're in right now. Some of you need hope beyond the walls that are containing you right now. See, Joseph always had hope for the season that was to come. Joseph was always looking towards the future, always pulling others into the future. So you cannot expect to step into the future God has for you if you only live your life for what you want today. We live in a culture and in a society that is obsessed with getting what we want when we want it. And when we want it is now. When we want it is immediately. 
When we want it is this moment. See, Joseph understood that, hey, God has given me a dream and I trust the God of my fathers to bring that dream to pass. And it may not look like I expected and it may not seem like I would have ever expected, but I can trust God to bring it to pass. Joseph knew that there was still a future even in his death. See, this idea that that Joseph's life carried on beyond his death. It's, it's good news for some of you who feel like your life is over. Like you may not be facing like actual death. You may not be facing actual death, but some of you feel like your life has ended. Some of you feel like your life has no meaning, has no purpose. It's good news for somebody who thinks they have wasted their life up until this point that their life is unredeemable, that there's nothing they can do to actually live in the dream that God has for their life. And this, this isn't about age. This isn't about your place in life. I meet 25-year-olds who think that their life is over because of a decision that they've made. I meet 30-year-olds who think that they have made decisions that mean their life can no longer have significance, and so they must just exist inside of it. That this is all there is, that I, I just, this is the life that I have now and this is what I have to live out, but I'll never actually fulfill the dream that God has for my life. That's over because of the decisions that I made. The dream for, that God had for my life is over because of mistakes that I made. And yet what Joseph's life reminds us of is that even when it seems like all is lost, even when it seems like all is over, there is still hope for the, for the season to come. There is still hope for the future that God has for us. See, sometimes we spend our lives trying so hard not to do the wrong thing that we end up doing nothing. Yeah, we spend most of our lives trying so hard not to do the wrong thing that we end up doing nothing. See, sometimes as followers of Jesus, I think we get it in our mind that, that like the enemy is after us to get us to slip up and do the wrong things. But can I tell you, he's just as satisfied when you do nothing. He's just as satisfied when you don't step into the fullness of what God has called you to do, when you don't step fully into the trust that God has called you into. See, Joseph in this moment, he could have reveled in the honor that was being given to him in his death. See, sometimes we skip over the fact that what is described here, is it says that Joseph was placed in a tomb in Egypt, that he was embalmed and placed in a tomb in Egypt. This would have been one of the highest levels of honor that he could have received. That he was buried in a tomb in the most prominent land at the time. But see, Joseph said, prominence in a foreign land is not enough for me. Prominence in a place that I don't belong is not enough for me. Success in an area that wasn't meant for me is not enough for me. Success in a place that I was never even meant to live the rest of my life is not enough for me. He said, you can keep your coffin in Egypt. Take my bones to the land that God promised me. Take my bones to the land that God said that my family would thrive in. Joseph had plenty of success. And sometimes we settle for success instead of moving towards significance. We look at our lives and we say, our lives are successful. That's good enough for me. My life is successful, that's good enough for me. Joseph ended his life at the highest level of success he could have ended it at, and he said, this still doesn't mean anything to me. The only thing that means anything to me is to pull my people into the future that God has for them. The only thing that matters to me is that I pull God's people into significance. See, instead of just saying, hey, look, I, I'm dying in prominence. He said, no, I'm moving into the future. 
But see, what's interesting is Jacob, his father had almost the same request, except he said, I want you to take my body to our land now. And so Joseph went to Pharaoh and he said, listen, my dad does not wanna be buried in Egypt. And Joseph had such political clout and such prominence that he said, go, bury him in the land where you would have him to be buried. And so why didn't Joseph do the same for himself? Like, why didn't Joseph in his dying words say, listen, I've done enough for Egypt. Take me to the place that God has for me. No, instead, he left his life as a promise for someone else. And he said, look, don't just take me to Egypt, but when, or take me out of Egypt, but when you go out of Egypt, take my bones. When you come out of captivity, take my bones. He was speaking into their future, not just, hey, I can get out of here. He was saying, listen, you are gonna get out of here. God's gonna be faithful to the promise that he made to our people. God's going to do what he said he's going to do, not just for me, but for all of our people. And so when you leave here, take my bones with you. Instead of using his death to point to his success, he used it to point to others' freedom. He used it to point to others' freedom. He didn't need anything to prove his greatness. See, in that moment, Joseph could have proved his greatness by this burial. All the pomp, all the circumstance, he could have said, yeah, leave me in Egypt. They'll remember me for generations to come. People will come and they'll look at my tomb and they'll say, this is the man who saved Egypt. This is the man of prominence who saved Egypt. He could have proved his greatness through his death, and yet he chose not to. He chose instead of to prove his own greatness to lead others into freedom. And this, by the way, is another way that Joseph looks like Jesus. Because see, in Jesus' death, he did not prove his greatness. Jesus didn't need to prove his greatness by coming and dying on the cross. Jesus didn't need to prove his greatness. He was already great. The the cross did not prove God's greatness. It restores yours. The cross doesn't prove God's greatness. It restores what we fell short of. It restores that moment where we say, hey, we're not worthy of coming into God's presence. And God God says, no, I know, but I sent my son to restore the greatness that I set inside of you. See, some of you are living lives where you are frustrated because you know that God has placed more inside of you than the life that you are living. You know that God has placed more greatness inside of you than the place that you are living. And you feel like you keep getting in your own way. You can never quite reach the place that God has for you. Can I tell you that you cannot access the fullness of the greatness that is inside of you if you do not submit to the one who placed it in there. If you do not submit to the God who placed it in you, it's the only way to access the greatness that God has placed inside of you. Finally, the the book of Joshua tells us that indeed the children of Israel, they carried the bones of Joseph into the promised land. They fulfilled what they said they would do. They were able to actually look back at that very moment. They were able to look back at the moment where Joseph was dying and he said, carry my bones into the land of freedom. They were able to look back and say, we actually did it in that moment. We actually responded to the call in that moment. We we actually followed through with the call in that moment. Can you imagine though, if they hadn't done it? Like, can you imagine if they just stayed imprisoned in Egypt? And decades later, generations later, they're looking back going, I wonder what would have happened if we had fulfilled that commitment. I wonder what would have happened if we had said yes in that moment. I wonder if we would be living in the land of freedom that we were promised if we had only committed to what Joseph said to carry our bones up in that moment. See, I don't want you to look back on this moment right now 
as a moment where you could have said yes to the call of God on your life. I don't want you to look back at this moment and say, that's the moment my life could have changed, but I did not commit to the call. I don't want you to look back on this moment 20 years from now and say, I wonder if I would be living in freedom if I'd only said yes in that moment. I wonder if my life would look different if I had said yes in that moment. See, I think there are people in this room today who will look back on this moment 20 years from now and say, this is the moment I responded to the call and it changed everything in my life. This was the moment, this Sunday morning at Harbor Church in Sarasota, Florida was the moment that changed my life. I know there are people in this room that 20 years from now, your family's gonna ask, how did you get where you are now? And you're gonna say, man, it wasn't always like this. But there was a day that I said yes. I want you to look back on this day as a day where you said yes to the life that God has invited you to live that you said yes to the life that God has called you into. And for some of you, you may have committed your life to Jesus. For some of you, you may have stepped into a relationship with him, but you know you're not living the life that he called you to live. For others of you, you may have never made a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that this is the moment. This is the moment where you can, make, where you can step into the future that God has for you. This is the moment where you can say yes. This is the moment that you can look back on and say it's the moment that changed my life forever. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?